Well, thanks for those who've led us in our worship and praise this morning. And it is good to be back with you today and to try and finish with you and this little series in Ruth and to combine both chapters three and four today. Don't get too worried. It'll be just as long as ever. Um, But I want to read from chapter four and we'll make references back to chapter three as well. And under the heading of I'm accepted, this person who uh, in the start of the book was facing crisis and complication in life, who then at the end of chapter one could say, I'm committed, your God, my God. Then in chapter two, saw her as the one who was blessed, God providing for, not making everything perfect, not sorting out all the problems, but a God who blessed her, gave her 10,000 reasons uh, to praise him. And then today we're going to think of that same Ruth, uh, fully accepted, and it's a great theme to finish with. Let me read from uh, chapter four of Ruth with you. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me. So I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. This, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Mahlon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Mahlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his, among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. 
Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. <coughs> Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Binadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of, jo of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. I'm going to God bless his truth to our hearts today main thrust of these two last chapters, chapters three and four, are God removing all the obstacles that barred Ruth naturally from being part of the people of God and enjoying all the blessings that God had for his promised people. So as we said, if she was putting her status onto social media, media, I think she would have had in great big capital letters, I'm accepted. These two chapters show uh, from a scriptural standpoint how accepted she was among the people of God and ultimately with God himself. And if you don't remember what goes on the next 20 minutes, the thing you're to take away with you today is God's great blessing for those who are his people is to give us that sense, that profound sense that we are accepted in the beloved in Christ. And that nothing, all the circumstances and challenges of our day and age, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are accepted in him for time and for eternity. Indeed, if you're here this morning without that sense of assurance, I want you to pay double attention for what God does for Ruth in bringing her into his family uh, and providing that sense of acceptance is right at the heart of the good news that we share today. 
But let me run through how I see Ruth accepted. First of all, Ruth accepted by Boaz. And that's kind of much of the the storyline, especially in chapter 3. There are several things in these two chapters that probably sound quite odd to us in our culture. And some of them, in fact, were even odd to Jewish culture. And so there has to be an explanation given within chapter 4. I think the first thing that strikes us odd in chapter 3 is the way in which Ruth's life and her choices seem to be controlled by her mother-in-law. And again, no jokes about mothers-in-law controlling their daughters-in-law, let alone their sons-in-law. Um, but it was a, a kind of strange emphasis is given. So the whole of the start of chapter 3 is Naomi saying to Ruth, here's what you need to do. But of course, behind that lies a profound truth that came out of the covenant God made with his people, Israel. And that was when someone died and the widow was left, everything had to be done possible to provide for her and care for her and keep alive the name of the man who died and keep alive his property. And so this whole story of Boaz and the other man being kinsmen, redeemers, about people buying up the land that couldn't be supported anymore in order that the family that was left would be properly provided for. It was better than a state pension. But that's what lies behind this apparent manipulation by Naomi. She's wanting to care for and provide for Ruth. She's not saying, Ruth, you've come to this country. It's up to you to make your own way now, sink or swim. Rather, Naomi is so accepting of Ruth that she wants to provide for her as though she were her daughter rather than her daughter-in-law. Again, in chapter 3, and the first verse, she uh, wants to provide a rest, depending on which translation you have, a rest or a home for uh, Ruth to live in. And again, our translations can never do perfect justice to the term used here. It's not just a rest as in a quiet we spell like a holiday or we break from work. Nor is it just a home in terms of a house to live in. The word is used for somebody who comes out of exile or out of a nomadic existence into a permanent abode, a place of profound rest. And that in verse 1 of chapter 3 is what Naomi is trying to do for Ruth. The next odd thing is in verses 2 to 7 of chapter 3, where she gives Ruth a whole load of instructions about getting herself perfumed and washed and dressed in her best clothes and heading off to Boaz's winnowing house and lying down underneath his blanket, all of which sounds very odd to our ears. But it was not an action that was sexual in nature, but symbolic Everything that Ruth is being told by Naomi to do here is saying, go there and show that you trust Boaz. Instead, Ruth had every reason to trust Boaz, hadn't she? He had cared for her from square one, given her protection out in the fields, made sure that she had a permanent job amongst the women who worked for him, 
provided far more than he needed to in terms of grain and food, etc. But now comes a chance for Ruth to show to Boaz that she trusted him. And more than that, there's this wording in verse 9 of chapter 3 about getting his garment over her feet. So when he wakes up, she can't, he can't understand why this woman suddenly appeared from nowhere. But the word used for garment, there's a word that's best translated, accurately translated as wing. I want you, says Ruth to Boaz, to put your wing over me. Now understand why translators don't say that. It would really read very oddly. What man has got wings to put over a woman? But the word is very, very important. Run your mind through the, the Psalms, through the Old Testament, and how often do we hear of us sheltering under God's wings? Or when Jesus in the New Testament weeps over Jerusalem, how often would I love to have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? And even in this book, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz has talked to Ruth about the God of Israel under whose wings you've come to take refuge. So what Ruth is saying to Boaz is, I want you to give me permanent shelter. I want you, Boaz, to be the person who watches over me, who accepts me as his responsibility for the rest of time. But of course, that wasn't guaranteed, was it? It's more than a marriage proposal. She's a Moabite. And we discussed in the first chapter that that's a kind of serious, difficult issue for him to cope with. She's a childless widow. There'd be extra responsibilities looking after her. She was virtually destitute. She had nothing to bring to the table in terms of their wedding and marriage. There'd be this great price to pay for the land that had belonged to Malon, Kilian, and Elimelech, their father. And so... Uh, Boaz is perfectly aware, if I marry uh, this woman, then I take on that huge responsibility of buying out that land. And if you bought out the land, then part of God's law in the old covenant was that if offspring came along, that offspring would inherit the land, not Boaz himself. So he risked putting all of his finances into buying this property in order to marry Ruth, to be her redeemer as a kinsman, and then have nothing to show for it financially at the end of the day. But he is pleased to bits. He is absolutely delighted with the suggestion that she's making He's under no obligation to do it. He knows there's another kinsman redeemer who's actually genetically closer to her. But his response to Ruth is evidence that he has accepted her for who she is and accepted her with all his heart and mind and being. 
despite all the critical, critical crisis and complications of our life, despite all the issues that are going to arise in the, in the future, here is someone whom Boaz identifies with and is ready to put his garment, his wing over her, not just for the night, but for the rest of life together. What a beautiful picture for someone who was a Moabitess, a widow, destitute, outside of the country of Israel, living in Moab with all the challenging crises of life, now fully accepted by Boaz. It's just a human picture, but a profoundly wonderful one. Secondly, Ruth is accepted by the community. I mean, chapter 3, verse 11, just one little phrase that comes at the end of uh, that verse. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. And you could quickly pass that by, if you, especially if you just see this as a love story between Boaz and Ruth. Quickly pass that by, I think, well, that's not very significant. It's massively significant for Ruth, who's come from Moab into Bethlehem, into the land of Judah, into God's own country. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. For the reality is, it's not just Boaz who sees the real Ruth behind all the externals of her life and complications. He's saying the short time that you've been in this country has been enough for the rest of this community to see the real Ruth as well. And the unanimous verdict is that you are a woman of noble character. The whole community is embracing Ruth along with Boaz as someone worthy of their time and attention. And given the history between Israel and the people of Moab, that was no small matter. This was kind of confrontational potential that is turned by God's overruling into an embracing and acceptance of the outsider that blows the mind. Now, again, the wording is highly significant, but easily missed in our English translation. That phrase is translated of noble character. And I hunted through all the different versions I get hold of and uh, didn't quite get any of them that get to the nub of what's involved here. It's a term that in this book of the Bible is only mentioned twice. Here of Ruth and in chapter 2, verse 1, it's used of Boaz, a man of noble character. It's a phrase which did appear in the book of Judges, the book before Ruth, the book that has set the scene for Ruth. And in chapter 6, verse 12 of Judges, it's translated as a man uh, or a mighty man of valor. And it's used a couple of times of Gideon and Jephthah there, describing someone who had uh, led Israel in uh, battle against their enemies and had brought about victory and triumph for God's people. 
But the phrase never just related to kind of military conquest and triumph. It's always someone who has stood out in the community as God's spokesperson, as someone who leads God's people valiantly and courageously. Someone whom the community can be proud of. I think we come then into chapter three of Ruth and Boaz is saying, Ruth, you're somebody that our community values. You're somebody whom our people can be proud of. They see the best in you. They accept you. So when we read that term of Boaz, that he was a man of uh, noble character, then it's quite encouraging that people recognize that amongst all their people in the land, Boaz is an outstanding one who fits the great line of God's servants throughout history. But when the term is used of Ruth, it's astounding that here's someone who has so been embraced by the community, so accepted by Jewish society, that she's reckoned to be amongst the greatest people in the land. Try to think of a kind of modern day equivalent. I suppose the best we could come up with is if one of the Syrian or Afghan refugees that's come to our own land in recent days was elected to parliament as an MP in the next election and became prime minister shortly afterwards. It'd be that kind of rise in status, that kind of acceptance. Yes, they were an outsider. Yes, they were an alien. Yes, they were a stranger. Yes, they had no particular claim to us. But now, such character had warmed the hearts of the community and their accepted Ruth was not just accepted by Boaz, which could be down to just a romantic view, although I don't think it was, but she's accepted in the community of Israel, in the people of God, and that's significantly greater. Thirdly, Ruth accepted by Boaz, Ruth accepted in the community, but Ruth accepted by God. And really that chapter, the fourth chapter, is all focused on the ways in which we see Ruth being accepted by God himself. I guess sometimes you lose sight in life of the fact that the most significant sense of acceptance for us as human beings is knowing we're accepted by God himself. We, we all have struggles in life being accepted by other people. And sometimes we win those battles and sometimes we lose them. Sometimes we come to the end of the day and think, I've impressed all my work colleagues, all the guys who are in my class at school, all the people who are in my friendship group. They're all putting big uh, texts on my Facebook page saying I'm a wonderful person. But that's kind of rare. And probably there's more days when we come to the end of the day in the secret place of our own quietness. We wonder whether anybody really accepts us for who we are and what we are. 
And in those struggles that cause mental breakdown and anxiety issues of all kinds, this issue of acceptance is a key issue, isn't it? But the most fundamental of those issues is, am I accepted by God himself? Is God happy with me? Is God content with me? Not does God see me as perfect, because he's never going to do that until he brings us home to glory. But is God content with me? Does he accept me? And we see in these two chapters how God's approval rests upon Ruth herself. He shows his approval through all of her changes and decisions and progress and journeying through life. He does it, first of all, I think, by his provisions for her. We said in that last uh, sermon together in chapter two that people like Naomi and Boaz were God's channels of blessing to her. And the true provider was God himself. And that's still true. But we want to focus now on not the Boazes and the Naomi's and the other people, but focus on God who is providing for her through those channels he has set up. And so we see in these two chapters, Ruth enjoying food. It's a constant theme in in these books. If you're in a land of famine, understandable. He provides shelter for her. The wing of Boaz is going to protect her for the rest of her days. God provides a husband for her, provides a home for her, provides a family for her. And all these clear evidence that God has accepted Ruth. She may be a Moabite. She may be a foreigner outside of the family of Israel, not a partaker of the covenant promises by birth and upbringing. But now, now she's in the people of God. She's amongst the community of God's people. And God shows his acceptance of her by provision for her. I think more than that, God shows his approval and acceptance of Ruth by including her amongst that worshipping community. Might be stretching a point, but we have to think through what does it mean for Ruth to marry Boaz? It means that they came together in Jewish custom, in Jewish practice, under Jewish law, uh, and it incorporated her as part of the Jewish community. She was amongst God's covenant people. And even more, I think he shows his acceptance of her and approval of her by enabling her to give birth to Obed. And it's a lovely little phrase that in chapter 4 and verse 13, where the Lord enabled her to conceive. So here's a way that the writer wants us to, to capture sense. This is not just that Boaz has got a brilliant wife and they managed to get a child together, or that she was happened to be very, very fertile. The issue is that God has shown his acceptance of Ruth by enabling her to conceive a child in that family line. And even more than that, made that child 
to be part of that line of divine promise and blessing so that Obed would become the direct line of descent to David and ultimately to Jesus himself. One of the great things about God, isn't it? He's not a God who hems himself in with boundaries. But God who opens his heart to receive into himself and into his family, into his covenant people, those who will rest and trust themselves to him. And as we close this morning, I want us just to take those thoughts that here's a God who showed how willing he is to accept even a Moabite so long as they wanted him to be God and king of their lives. You might not be a Moabite today, technically speaking, but spiritually speaking, maybe you are. Maybe you're outside of God's family completely. The gospel of Jesus Christ welcomes the outsider, the foreigner, the stranger, the ones who are far off, and brings them near through the blood of Christ himself. And so no matter how far out you think you are, if today you prepare to say, Lord, I want you to be my God, and I want you to be my king, I give you back my life, then he will accept you and bring you into his family. We see here that God showed how able he is to guide and direct and bless the lives of those who put themselves under his kingship, no matter how complicated life was. And if today you are a Christian, but you think, Life is so tough, so complicated that I'm going to have to work things out for myself. And when I've worked things out for myself and got everything sorted, then I can carry on with my Christian life. It's the wrong way around, isn't it? And here we know it, but, or here we know it, but here sometimes we don't. And God is actually saying, if you put yourself under my lordship, if you make me your king, allow me to direct your life, I'm perfectly able, perfectly competent to guide and direct and bless your life, no matter how big the crisis at the present moment is. And God showed, thirdly, how he could help someone like Ruth transition into a future that she could never have imagined was possible in the past. In her earlier days when everything was complicated, Ruth could have easily contemplated just giving in to complete despair, saying it's hopeless, there's no way ahead for me. Or because she could have, like Oprah, have opted for the status quo, to stay with what was familiar, stay with the old normal, and just grin and bear it. But Ruth did neither. She put her hope in allowing God to be the God and king of her life in every detail. Commitment to him did not make everything perfect, but it had brought those little blessings that showed she's on the right lines and which led to this 
brilliant, wonderful sense of being accepted by God as she was. And to have God's approval is the real deal in this life. So let me say again, if you're not yet in that position, hear God's invitation to put your life into his hands today and to find that wonderful calm and peace of knowing acceptance with God himself and his approval. And if you are a believer and you're struggling with the new normals of life, and you think, why do we have to go through change? Should we be going through change or not even? I had one elder in one church I was in, and we sat in an elders' meeting. We chatted about a particular change that was being proposed in church life. And he was kind of dithering. He's the only one who's dithering. And he turns to me eventually and says, Trevor says, if we say we need to change, then what we've been doing all along is wrong. I said, no. It means that what you've been doing all along was right for then, but not for now. And sometimes that's what we need to hear in church life, isn't it? And I think maybe through the whole of the pandemic issue, God's been saying to us, look, what was right then was right then. But it's not necessarily right today. And it's not going to be right tomorrow or next year or the year after. We need to transition. We need to move. We're on a pilgrimage. And so if you're a believer struggling with the changes that life is bringing to you at home, in study, in work, or even in church. Be confident that when you make Christ your king, when he is the one who dictates the detail, you can be confident of being accepted by him. And that's what really counts. A word of prayer. And then we'll go straight to think of our acceptance with Christ as we come to the table this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Ruth. We thank you for the book that has been written about her life. But we thank you for the life that was worth writing about. We thank you for the lessons at that time for Israel as they began to understand what God really wanted from them in terms of allowing him to be their king the king to be obeyed, the king to be followed, the king to be trusted. We thank you Lord, for what the book says to us today in our world where so many things are changing and where we feel at times insecure amongst all that change. May we be people, Lord, who refresh our commitment to you and find today that sweet blessing and assurance of being accepted by you because of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. And I wanted to read uh, with us around the table as we remember Christ's redemptive work. We take that picture of the Goel, the guardian redeemer. It's not a full picture of redemption, but it is a picture of 
that ultimate redemption that comes to us through Christ. I want to read in 1 Peter 1, just a couple of verses there. You know that it was not with perishable things as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. And those lovely words, aren't they? They remind us that we come to the table. It's always said and rightly said that the table is really all about him rather than us. It's Christ as our redeemer. It is Christ as our substitute. Christ as our atoning sacrifice. Christ is the one who reconciles us to God through his death on the cross. Christ who is our saviour. Christ who is the grounds of our acceptance with God. We're accepted in the beloved. And in a sense, all those things, while they're all about Jesus, are also all about us, aren't they? Because it's our redeemer, our reconciler, our atoning sacrifice, our saviour, our Lord, our acceptance in him. And so there's a true sense in which at the table, we should feel, we should sense how accepted we are. If work or school or family or friends have left you this week feeling a wee bit out on a limb, wondering whether anyone accepts you as you are, here's the place. And here are the emblems, the symbols that say we are one body in Christ. We are one blood in Christ. We are in Christ. We are communing not just with each other, but with Christ himself. We are accepted in him. I'm not sure whether you have all got bread and wine with you or whether you forgot it this morning. But let's in symbol and in heart thank God for the acceptance we have through Christ our Redeemer. And I'll pray, giving thanks for bread and wine, then we'll eat and drink actually or symbolically together. Father, we are amazed that we who were enemies and far off and strangers find ourselves today brought near through the blood of the cross. We thank you that we who had no rights to the promise as heirs of Abraham and his covenant can today say that we are part of the new covenant family through Jesus, our Savior, Redeemer, Reconciler, Lord and King. So we thank you for all he's done. Thank you for the grace that brought that about. We take this bread as a reminder that we today are accepted in him. We bless you 
In Jesus' name, amen. So we read that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me.